going on, everyone? Welcome back to another episode of What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. My name is Bob. I'm hanging out talking sports with my older brother, Chris. Topic of today is the NBA Finals. Finally, we're down to two teams in basketball, the Cleveland Cavaliers representing the East and the Golden State Warriors representing the West. Chris, I think this was the matchup that a lot of people predicted, and it was a pretty safe bet to to have these two teams duking it out for the finals what do you think we're finally gonna play kevin love's not gonna come back because it's been so <laughs> yeah. long i mean he's got plenty of time to rest that shoulder it has been a hiatus i mean it's been a while yeah you're right <laughs> but no seriously i i do agree i think this is the matchup a lot of people thought would happen wanted to happen well maybe not everyone there are a lot of lebron haters out there but I do think that most people kind of saw this coming. I was hesitant. Like, in the preseason, I certainly didn't see the Warriors being this good. In the tournament, I didn't ever really pick against them, even though I thought the Western teams could have beaten them. I do think the Warriors got extremely fortunate in the sense that the Spurs and the Clippers didn't wind up on their half of the bracket because I think that would have uh, tested them a little bit more not to say that they didn't pass with flying colors with the way they've performed so far. They've only lost three games. Cleveland's only lost two games. So these two have been very dominant in the postseason, combining for five losses. It certainly been was a one-sided conference final affair. I mean, when Atlanta and Houston, the two losing teams, combined for one win, Atlanta getting swept. Yeah. That's pretty insane. Houston, of course... A huge letdown, but this isn't about them. This is about the teams that got to the NBA Finals. And I think it's going to be a good NBA Finals, though I did say that about the Golden State-Houston series, and look what happened there. But I do think it's I think it's going to be a good NBA Finals. I think these teams are very solid. And a lot of people are overlooking Cleveland in the sense that they're overlooking their role players. I think that the role players have been getting very disrespected. People are saying this is one of the worst teams that LeBron James has led. I, I just don't agree with that at all. I think this is, top to bottom, the best team LeBron James has ever had. Better than any team he's had in Miami. Certainly better than the 2007 Cavaliers team as far as a top to bottom supporting cast. Now, without Kevin Love, yes, it's a little bit weaker but when you've got Tristan Thompson as the number four guy, counting Irving and Love, that's better than any number four option he had on the Heat. J.R. Smith and Eman Shumpert are better than any five and six options he had on the Heat. He obviously had James Jones on the Heat, so he takes that spot right in. Matthew Delvadova is the best backup point guard he's ever played with. And I would say Matthew Delvadova is better than Mario Chalmers. And Mario Chalmers was the starting point guard on the, guard on the Miami Heat. So yeah. to say that this supporting cast is the weakest he's ever played on is just ridiculous. I, the team is just different. It's different than any other team that that he's been on. And it's different in the sense that you can't really measure exactly what they're doing together. Uh, this team came together in that second round against the Bulls where they started to play team defense and actually play really good defense. They're the best defensive team in the postseason. And that's a little bit harder to see and measure. 
it's a lot easier to see Chris Bosh, Dwayne Wade, and LeBron and, and just say that those teams are his best teams. But I agree with you. I mean, the the big three model is at its weakest when you have no bench. And this Cavs team has the benefit of through their drafts and through the trades that they made to amass a bunch of role players that actually are decent to good starters that can help out that the big three in Cleveland, especially with Kyrie hurt and with Kevin love out. So the team's just different. It's not, it's not a star studded team. I don't, I agree with you. I think it's, they're definitely getting disrespected just because it's not the prettiest team. Yeah. I think when you line up position by position, I think the only guy who really wins, obviously LeBron and LeBron comparing the heat to the Cavs negates each other. The only guy who really wins is Chris Bosh, because I think Chris Bosh is a better player than Kevin Love. And I think Chris Bosh is criminally underrated in this league. I think Chris Bosh was the second most important te- player on those Miami Heat teams, all due respect to Dwayne Wade, but he hasn't been the same since 2010. And Kyrie Irving is a thousand times better than Dwayne Wade ever was when LeBron played with him, and that's a fact. I'm not saying Kyrie Irving's a better player overall. Dwayne Wade from 05 to 08 was a top five NBA player. Kyrie Irving hasn't reached those heights yet. But right now, LeBron is playing with a Kyrie Irving that Dwayne Wade never was the four years LeBron was with him in Miami. And that's a fact. I mean, I'm not like I'm not disrespecting Dwayne Wade, but Kyrie Irving, this guy right now is better than Dwayne Wade. Well, I and or this version of Dwayne I, Wade. I uh, I agree with you on the offensive side, on the defensive side I'm not so sure and Dwayne Wade probably is just better by the nature of being a larger man, but Kyrie is definitely a liability on defense. He has stepped it up this year, but with the injury that he that he has right now that he's going to be battling in this NBA finals, Kyrie is actually kind of a liability. I think he is what the Cavs fate lies upon is that knee and how quick he can go battling this injury. I mean, it's, I'm quite concerned with that injury and I don't think it's fair to Dwayne Wade to say that Kyrie in this finals is better than Dwayne Wade. Okay. Well, maybe not this specific NBA finals, but I'm talking about on this team, the Kyrie Irving LeBron has played with this season is better than Dwayne Wade ever was when he played with Dwayne Wade. If that makes sense. I mean, I, I understand it. I still disagree. Dwayne Wade is pretty awesome, even when he is wearing down with his injuries. Kyrie still has some work to do. But let's go, I mean, let, let's talk about the matchup at hand. So what what are the advantages the Warriors have? What are the advantages that the Cavs have? What do you, what do you see in, in the position matchups? Well... Right off the bat, you got to look at Steph Curry. The Warriors start and end with him, really, because he's the MVP of the league. So that's the obvious one right off the bat. Is Steph Curry going to hit ridiculous shots? The only thing you can do is put him in a tough spot. He's going to hit a lot of crazy shots. This guy has been hitting them all tournament. He is an amazing shooter. You can play perfect defense on him, and he'll still get you. So the Cavs are going to have to make it very hard on him to get other guys involved. That's the key. You don't want guys like Draymond Green or Klay Thompson or, heaven forbid, Harrison Barnes or Andrew Bogut or anyone else stepping up and going off because then it starts to snowball. It's kind of like the LeBron factor. If LeBron goes off, it's okay 
because he's going to get his, but you want to make him as inefficient as possible, and you want to try to take away his teammates. And I think the Cavs are going to have the same problem with the Warriors because Steph Curry is going to score. He's going to get points. He's going to hit shots. That is going to happen. It's a fact. I mean, if it doesn't happen, the Warriors are going to get destroyed. But it's going to happen. So the key for the Cavs is going to be making sure Draymond Green doesn't punish them. And if we're getting to an X factor, that's it. Draymond Green, not only on the defensive side, but the offensive side. He is not a bad jump shooter. He's a very versatile player. He does a ton for them. He's arguably... Maybe not their most valuable player, but to kind of twist words around, he could be their most important player because he's certainly their most valuable defender. And that's the matchup I'm most intrigued by. How are the Warriors going to get Draymond Green on LeBron James? It'll be easy when Timothy Mozgov isn't on the court because LeBron will probably play power forward, which, bingo, Draymond Green plays. But when Tristan Thompson is at power forward, how are you going to move Draymond Green over to LeBron James? Because then you're putting a small forward in either Harrison Barnes or Andre Iguodala on Tristan Thompson. And to steal a line from you a couple weeks back, Thompson's going to have his bib on when that happens. Yeah, definitely. That is a key matchup. I think you, you highlighted a thing that both these teams do really well is switching on defense and having, other than their centers in Mozgov and Bogut respectively, all the other players can really cover multiple positions. And so the screen game and, and switching, getting favorable matchups, these two teams like to stay at home and like to just switch. And that's will cause some interesting matchups. Like you said, my X factor for the Warriors is actually Harrison Barnes. Draymond Green, I think he's just going to do what you expect him to do, which is block some shots, get some rebounds, score some high energy points. If you get Harrison Barnes involved, then you have that's that's when the Warriors machine is at their best when all four of those guys are knocking down jump shots. So uh, yeah, that that will definitely be an interesting matchup and you brought up the other point with the rebounding game that it's well known at this point that Cleveland is offensive rebounding the ball at a ridiculous pace, but the Golden State Warriors love to run. And so you have a team that loves to get offensive rebounds against a team that wants to get that defensive rebound real bad, and there are guys just sprinting up the court. So what's going to give in that matchup? Because if you get the offensive rebound and all your guy, all the other guys are down the court, that's an easy bucket for you. But if you're fighting for that board and you don't get it, then that's an easy bucket for the other team. So that'll, I think that's another intriguing thing to look out for as well. Yeah, transition defense is going to be very key for Cleveland because, as you mentioned, Golden State isn't shy on pushing the tempo and getting up and down. In fact, it's the easiest way to get the Splash Brothers open looks. It's the easiest way to get any shooter open look is to push the pace. And they got guys who can knock it down. The Cavs have guys who can knock it down, too. They have a ton of three-point shooters. J.R. Smith, if he plays the way he did against Atlanta, Golden State's going to have to watch out. Uh, Iman Shumper, James Jones, all these guys can shoot threes very well. And I didn't even mention Kyrie Irving. I didn't even mention Matthew Delvadova, who's actually a very good three-point shooter. But as I said before, it's odd that he's not a good jump shooter. I just I don't understand how he's not a very good jump shooter, but he can hit from it's the three. M- NBA jam rules, dude. He's got he's got the hot spot. <laughs> He's on fire, I guess. But the point is, 
the Cavs have a bit of a gun rack there in the sense that they can throw a lot of guys who can stretch the floor with the three-point shot. So they're not afraid to get into a three-point shootout with the Warriors. I probably wouldn't advise that because I think the Cavs are very good in the half-court set. And I think Cleveland would want to slow the ball pace down. Not that Golden State can't run in half-court offense, but I think it's to Cleveland's advantage if the game is not an up-and-down transition. Certainly, and uh, just a fact for you, Cleveland is the slowest team in the NBA playoffs. Uh, They beat... They're slower than Memphis, actually. And we saw how Memphis, their slow pace of play kind of... I mean, they they had, they had came the closest to scaring Golden State. And that was due part in that they had two amazing post players. But it's also because of the slow pace of the game at which they play for those post players. And the Cavs play at an even slower rate. So, yeah, I think that that is an advantage that the Cavs have. And I think David Blatt who has coached a really good playoff, albeit the the timeout that he almost called. Besides that, he's coached, he's coached an amazing playoffs. I think he is going to try and expose that. Who 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 has the advantage on, on the coaching end? Well, first off, I'm going to quote my editor. He said, it's not a mistake until it's in print, and then it's too late. That timeout was not called, so technically that timeout was not a mistake. It was caught before it happened. But yes, I agree. That was his biggest gaffe of the playoffs so far. And luckily, it didn't bite the Cavs. But I agree with you. David Blatt is getting absolutely no credit for being a tremendous coach right now. He And I understand LeBron James is a big reason why. Certainly. He is a player coach. As close to a player coach as we'll see in this generation. But you got to give David Blatt some credit for making some really gutsy coaching moves, especially against Chicago when he decided not to bring Kyrie Irving back for that two quarters and a half and protected the 14-point lead in Chicago with the backups. He, I, I believe he was cleared to come back, and Blatt said no. Blatt has coached a fantastic playoff so far. Yeah. Kerr is getting a lot of credit, and rightfully so, for what he's done with the Warriors. But the thing is, I don't really know who has the coaching edge because they're both rookie head coaches. I mean, they're, they're both in the NBA Finals in their first year. They're both riding MVP caliber superstars in Steph Curry and LeBron James. And if you're going to say Dave Blatt has LeBron James, you got to at least say Steve Kerr has Steph Curry. I mean, he seems like the kind of superstar who is a very sort of team-oriented and high character, the guy you want to see leading a team. If I had to give a coaching edge, I would probably slightly give it to Kerr because I also think Kerr has coached a tremendous playoffs, especially against the Memphis Grizzlies, where he had the audacity to stick Andrew Bogut on Tony Allen, and it worked. So that was a pretty gutsy call as well. So I would give the slight edge to Kerr, but I don't think David Blatt is getting enough respect. See, I'll, I'll give the the edge to Blatt. Um, interesting enough, you know, there's a story going around that Kerr had Blatt on his coaching staff to start the year, and he allowed him Blatt to go and interview for Cleveland's job, and he ended up getting it. So that's a, that's definitely gonna be a storyline that you'll hear ad nauseum if you're gonna watch these NBA Finals. But I would give it to Blatt. I think he has dealt with more in these playoffs, obviously, with all the injuries and suspension of J.R. Smith. Uh, he's made really good moves in terms of James Jones. His minutes went up. Della Vadova's minutes went up. You saw him shrink the bench in a smart way. 
And then the way he game planned against Atlanta was was great. I mean, he dared all their jump shooters to make jump shots and they couldn't handle it. And he brought what was a struggling Atlanta offense to an even grinding halt. And that I thought that was really impressive. So I if I'm going into the playoffs, I, I would rather have Black coaching me than Kerr at this moment. I think you're the only one in America who is going to say that. But I, I agree. I, I completely see your points. And even though I just gave the edge to Kerr, I completely see your points. I think Blatt's getting completely disrespected because he has LeBron James. It's not right. I think he deserves a lot of credit for how this team has gone 12-2 and in the postseason with two sweeps, one of them in the conference finals, without Kevin Love, and without Kyrie Irving for about half the time, too. Though I will say, one other gaffe Blatt Blatt made was starting Mike Miller in Game 1 against Chicago. I (laughs) understand what he was going for there, but it didn't work out because it is Well, a a true sign of greatness is knowing when you're wrong, and he knew he found out that he was wrong really quick. So, I don't know. There's something about the way that Blatt is coaching, maybe that he's kind of coaching for his life even which is ridiculous to think about but I I just think that he is bringing like that that Euro League experience that he has and is just being a gritty inspiring gutsy coach in these in these playoffs and I think it's really fun to watch and unfortunately LeBron who you said is player coach I would say he's more of a player GM but we'll talk about that later uh he uh yeah, he just soaks up all the credit for for doing everything, and that, like you said, that's rightfully so. But this, these are my few minutes to to give some credit to David Blatt to get the Cavs to this point, which obviously can't all be on LeBron. It's a it's a really impressive job. So I, even if I'm the only person in his corner, uh, I'm I'm impressed by it, and I I would want him coaching me in these finals. Look, I said LeBron's the closest thing to a player coach we've seen. He is a leader on the floor. He is no doubt an extension of the coaching staff on the floor. And there's no doubt in my mind that there are times where he overrules David Blatt. And he has the authority. When you've done what LeBron has done, you have that authority as long as it's done in a respectful way. I think LeBron's always done it in a respectful way. I think he's blown out of proportion when a player calls an audible. Peyton Manning calls audibles all the time. I mean, nobody blows that out of proportion. I know it's a different sport, but what's wrong with changing plays But I agree with you. You don't get to where you are without good coaching. And David Blatt, LeBron is not coaching this team. He is helping on the floor, leading on the floor, guiding this team like a superstar should. But make no mistake, David Blatt is doing a lot to have these guys prepared, to put these role players, as everyone's calling them, in strategic positions to succeed. And they're stepping up and rewarding him. So David Blatt certainly deserves a lot of credit. And you're right to give it to him, man. I'm just glad that... I'm not the only one who thinks that he deserves more credit. And I'm sure we're not the only ones, too. I'm sure a lot of other people agree with us. Cool. What do you think about uh, the head injuries that, that happened to Curry and Clay Thompson? And do, do you think that's going to be a factor in the finals? No, because Curry did come back and play in Game 5 after his head injury, which I saw that one live. That one was scary. I thought he was done. And I he even came back into that game, which was really head-scratching, not yeah. to pun there. But I, I can't believe they let him back in that game. They should have held him out, even if there wasn't a concussion. You know, they were losing. Who cares? I mean, go back home and win, game, win in 5. Clay Thompson, 
actually suffered a concussion, was diagnosed with a concussion. So he's still going through the protocol. He's been practicing. So it, it, we'll see if he plays game one. It looks like he will have – I mean, he's going to have a lot of time to heal up. The only question is if there's lingering effects and he doesn't pass the league's protocol. And we're not going to know that until game one like is about to tip off. So if he doesn't play game one, it'll be a factor, of course, because anytime you're down a starter, it's a factor. But I think he will play, especially with all the rest he's had. I don't see – it seems like he. all the signs are there that he will play. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure that there are reports coming out this morning and, and today about how he's going to be cleared to play. Didn't he come back into that game, though? And He get, took the knee to the head, and then he came back in to play, I thought. Yeah, I actually did not watch that game, so I'm not 100% on that. And as we've said before, it's been a long yeah, time true. since these games were played. So I'm a little shaky on that one. But I'm very confident Curry came back in game four. Yeah, I know Curry did. I'm pretty sure Thompson did too. And that's what bothers me is that he they what they took him through these concussion tests and he came back into play and then he turned out to actually have a concussion that's been bothering him for a week. I, I mean, I understand the, the head injuries are weird, but it just that kind of... I thought that was really strange that they would allow him to go back in and he's not, nobody's coming under fire for allowing that to happen. Like that's a very, that's a very dangerous thing to do. And I, I was kind of concerned about that. Yeah. The Browns send Colt McCoy back in and they're talking about docking draft picks and all that stuff. And yeah, I, I do think that if they sent him back in knowing he had a concussion or didn't follow the NBA's protocol, there should be more talk about it. But you know, there isn't. I don't know why. I can't answer that question. Why? It's. I. I honestly can't answer that question. Why there's more talk about it if if they didn't follow the protocol. Yeah. All right. So who is uh who's your finals MVP? Finals MVP. Yeah. Or I mean, do you want to make a prediction? You want to keep talking about it? Well, we got to make a prediction first before we do MVP. I mean, unless unless you think the losing team is going to get MVP, but I don't think that's <laughs> going to happen. Who do you think is going to win? All right. Well. If you're listening listen to this podcast, you have you know that Chris and I are Cavs fans, but I and you probably have realized that I'm the pessimist of the two. Um, I, I I'm going Warriors in six. I think the Warriors are too deep. There's too much talent on the starting line. It's just going to be overwhelming for LeBron to do all on his own. I don't think Kyrie Irving. His, he's going to be 100%, and you definitely need him at 100% to to go up against this team. I I just think the Warriors are too good a team, and the Cavs are, are gutty and great and gritty, and they play great defense, and they obviously they have LeBron, so they have a, a fighter's chance, but I, I think the Warriors are the team, and you saw what happened to LeBron's team when they faced a real team in the finals last year with the Spurs. Yeah, I'm going Warriors in six. I don't. I just don't think the Cavs have enough firepower to stick with the Warriors. So you're probably saying Steph Curry is going to win MVP. Yeah, yeah. I think if the Warriors win and he's scoring 20 points a game, he's going to get MVP. Yeah, for sure. So you're saying that on June 16th, you and I are going to witness another heartbreak. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, it'll be fun to go there, but with. But I, I just, man, I can't, I, I tr- I've tried to justify, I've tried to, to convince myself that Cleveland's going to win, but I can't, 
I'm looking at the facts and I can't, I can't make that decision or that prediction. I think the Warriors are going to win six games. First off, I think the Cavs have a lot better chance than just a fighter's chance or a puncher's chance or whatever you said there. Second off, you and I are not going to be crying on Game 6. We are going to be witnessing history on Game 6 because 51 years of futility ends on June 16th. Cavs in 6. LeBron's getting an NBA Finals MVP. I think the rebounding advantage is going to be big. I think the Cavs role players are better than people are giving them credit for. and They're going to step up like they did against Atlanta and like they've done all playoffs. And LeBron James is a man on a mission. If you've seen him in these last two series, specifically the last series, this guy does not want to see a 2-4 and four NBA Finals record. If you think for a second that's not on his mind when he's trying to chase down the great one, Michael Jordan, you are dead wrong. He wants to even up his record in the final, come out 3-3, three and three, deliver on a promise he made way back in 2003, and he's going to do it in front of both of us, and we're going to love it. 51 years, ends on June 16th in Cleveland, Cavs in six, LeBron's winning an MVP. I love it. I, lo- I love every word that you just said, and I hope it comes true. Oh, it's happening, man. I gave you Cavs in four last series. You did. You did. And, I mean, granted, I, I said Cavs in five, so I don't – I mean, it's not That's like true. you blew me out of the water. That's true. I was getting a lot of flack. I was getting a lot of flack on Facebook, though. A lot of people were saying I was disrespecting the oh, Hawks. Yeah, a lot of people got down. Well, on a me. lot of people said that to me too, and I was like, "Man, you you just don't see what what I'm seeing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we're seeing two different teams." <laughs> I mean, yeah. The, well, we'll we'll focus on the finals, but certainly the Hawks. The Hawks machine slowed down ever since the All Star break. There's no denying that, and came to a crashing halt against the Kings. Yeah, they lost their group for sure. Hey, man, with LeBron on the Cavs, they have a shot. All things are possible, but this Warriors team is really, really good, and I... Oh, I'm not disrespecting the Warriors at all. I just think the Cavs are going to win. All right. No, certainly not. It's not going to be easy. If the Warriors were to win this series, it's not like I'd be shocked. I wouldn't have a heart attack or anything like that. If Atlanta had beaten Cleveland last round, I would have had a heart attack. But if the Warriors win this series, I'm certainly not going to be surprised. And I I'm certainly won't be surprised if we end up crying tears of pain and shame as our futility streak continues. For all of you who don't know, Cleveland hasn't won a championship since 1964. And there have only been four teams in that span to even reach the, the finals of their respective sport. The Indians twice in the 90s, and now the Cavs twice. So all you little cursed cities out there who think you've had a curse, you know nothing. You know See, nothing. See, I was, I was going to try not bring that up in this podcast because I'm getting ready to hear that probably 100 times during these NBA finals. I, any TV break intro is just going to hammer that home to the death. You just got to embrace it, man. 51 years. I mean, I embrace it. I just don't want... Uh, I don't know who's going to be calling the game. I don't want those guys talking about it and you know they don't they don't know. They're not from Cleveland. I don't I don't want to hear them lamenting what I know. See what I hate was anytime Cavs face Chicago in the playoffs, the shot gets shown a hundred times. That's what I hate. Yeah. Especially since Derrick Rose did his shot after game 3. We had to see that even more times. 
So I'm glad LeBron answered with not quite as big as the shot because it was a game four, but it was in the it was in Chicago and it won a game. So at least it was slight payback, especially after what happened in game three. Yeah, that, I mean that's annoying too. I I don't know. I just I I'm proud of where I'm from and what's happened to him. I just don't like it when people from not that area that don't know what they're talking about start talking about it like they know true that anyway though more cleveland news to quote the direct tv commercials we're going to take it straight from kevin love's mouth none of these (laughs) side reports citing sources close to the situation because i hate those kevin love answered a direct question when he said, I hope to be suiting up for opening day, a follow-up was with Cleveland, and he said, yes, sir. So straight from Kevin Love's own mouth, he said he's coming back next year. Now, he didn't say whether or not he's going to sign a long-term extension or simply opt in. I think the second is more plausible because, as everyone knows, or anyone who follows the NBA should know, Contracts are about to get a whole lot more expensive in 2016 with the salary cap going through the roof. And I'm certain Kevin Love or Kevin Love's people are aware of that situation. So I think he will opt in. I've said that all the time because I think he wants a bigger payday. But he said it himself. He's coming back to Cleveland. What do you think about that news? Well, I I have a couple of things to say. First off, that's great news that he was so definitive. I mean, he has to opt in by June 30th. So there's not much time for that quote to die or for that to be forgotten. I mean, regardless if he, if he opted out and signed somewhere else, that quote, I mean, he, he would not be able to, to enter Cleveland again. I mean, just, it would be awful. Um, secondly, he would be a complete idiot to not spend another year in Cleveland. I mean, he has, he's young. I mean, he's 26. So, what he's going to waste his year 26 or 27 with the Cavs with LeBron James and Kyrie Irving, a team that has gone to the finals without him. Like what, what is bigger and better than that? Where at least give it one more year and one more shot. That'd be, it'd be the dumbest thing to go anywhere else that has room for a max free agent. It's not going to be as good as Cleveland. This team is really good. Most of those guys are going to be back next year. Why not give it another shot? Thirdly, the media I mean, I, th- I, just, I I was talking to you about this uh, during the week. I just don't think that they understand Kevin Love. I don't think that Love is the typical NBA superstar that is flamboyant, is out there, that loves talking, that has a has a crew that you know sp- spreads that drops hints about what he's gonna do. From what I've read and from what it seems, he's pretty much a normal guy that keeps to himself, that doesn't really like to go out or keep a lot of friends. And so they just kind of make up this stuff that they really, nobody has any idea what he wants except for Kevin Love. And Kevin Love just said a couple of days ago that he's staying in Cleveland. So that should be it because there's nobody else that speaks for Kevin Love. Unlike a lot of the, the these superstars that do have a lot of people that do speak for him and do know a lot of things about him. Kevin Love is just, is just him. And so what he says is... You should take it for what it is. It's it's the truth. So, yeah, he's staying, and I'm happy about it. Well, first off, let's just clarify one thing. When we say the media in this situation, we're talking about the national guys. A lot of the local guys are not saying this stuff. They don't. These guys don't really print that gossipy stuff. 
And, and that's what it is to me. I mean, anytime you say sources close to LeBron James say he's definitely going to the Knicks, which was the storyline for about two and a half years up to his decision in 2010. And, oh, LeBron didn't even name the Knicks as one of the seven or six teams he was considering. So, ha, take that, sources. I, I, I hate those kind of reports that cite unnamed sources to spread sort of gossipy rumors about a player because, quite frankly, I'm skeptical of two things. One, I, I'm some people don't believe these sources, quote-unquote, exist. I don't, I'm not going to go that far. I'm not going to accuse another journalist of plagiarism. I, I think these sources have ulterior motives. I think some of these stories are leaked by rival teams that want to get Kevin Love. It wouldn't surprise me if the Lakers are back-channeling through other people to get it out there that Kevin Love's unhappy in Cleveland. It, it wouldn't surprise me at all. This is a cutthroat business, man. And, and whenever I see stuff like that, I just don't believe it. I, I don't believe it unless there's a name attached to it, unless that source is willing to identify himself and come out and say something. Kevin Love came out and said he's staying in Cleveland. That's all I need to read. I, I don't care if anyone else has a source. Kevin Love himself just said it. So if he leaves now, he's a liar. I mean, quite frankly, he, he told a lie in front of everyone. So those reports really get under my skin, and I know they get under the skin of a lot of other very good journalists out there who do a great job of reporting their beat and doing things the right way. But, yeah, the whole situation just annoys me because every time you talk to a national analyst or someone goes on TV, they're saying he's definitely out of there. They don't like LeBron. And and, and truth be told, they're, they're, it looked like there was some friction between him and LeBron this year. Looks like they but were not, not on the same not page on all the time. Court. LeBron did. You know, not on the court. They were good. They are the best yeah, on the court but, together. They were, but but at the same time, LeBron did call him out a couple times. He calls, he calls out you know, everyone. After a couple though. games. That's true. But the thing is, Statistically, I agree. I think Kevin Love... The combination of LeBron and Kevin Love is the most productive pair that Cleveland Cavs had all year. Uh, no, I agree. I think that they work great together. They're perfect complements for one another. Kevin Love's the exact kind of player LeBron wants to play with. First off... Tristan Thompson may be a better, a slightly better rebounder than Kevin Love, but Kevin Love still averaged 9.8 rebounds a game, and he's one of the best rebounders in the NBA. So to say Tristan Thompson's a better rebounder than Kevin Love is, A, a little bit disrespectful to Kevin Love because he's been an elite rebounder for so long, and B, says a lot more about Tristan Thompson than it does about Kevin Love. Kevin Love is an elite rebounder. He almost averaged a double-double at 16 and like 9.8, so... Kevin Love can do all that. Oh, and by the way, he can shoot. He can shoot the three. He can shoot definitely good from 18 feet. But yeah, he's a he's a legitimate stretch four who can rebound, who has elite rebounding skills. That's the perfect kind of player to play with LeBron James. So anyone in Cleveland or anyone who says that Kevin Love would not be welcome here, that the Cavs don't need him, just does not know basketball. I'm sorry, I hate using that phrase, but if you don't, if you think the Cavs are better off without Kevin Love. You need to get a gut check or a reality check because this guy is an awesome player and everyone knew that his stats were going to come down playing with scorers like LeBron and Kyrie. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, the alternative is not good. You don't have the flexibility to to get a replacement at Kevin Love's level. So this is the team that you have and that you are set with and you have to roll with it and support it. So yeah, the people that don't like Kevin Love and the people that are convinced he's moving away or both of them are just silly. Like this is the team. This is the team that we're going to see next year as well. Oh, and this is the team we're probably going to see for the next four or five years. I mean, seriously speaking, the only way the cast can really improve this team is through a trade. 
what they need to do now is see if Dan Gilbert is going to go by that all-in mantra and pony up for Tristan Thompson and Iman Shumpert because the only way this team's going to attract free agents is if they utilize their advantages by going over the cap to sign their own guys to retain the guys they have because they're not going to replace Iman Shumpert and Tristan Thompson on the open market because even if they let them walk, they're still capped out. They can't sign guys. They can't They can't do much to sign guys unless they can convince someone to take a bargain-level replacement. So all these guys hoping for LaMarcus Aldridge, that is not happening unless they trade Kevin Love for him because they can't go out and sign LaMarcus Aldridge to anything more than the veterans' minimum. And I assure you, LaMarcus Aldridge is not getting paid the veterans' minimum next year. No, certainly year. not. Sorry, I was getting a little heated. I've never gotten that, that heated before. but Dude, it's all right, man. It's okay. It's summertime. You gotta turn up the heat a little bit. <laughs> I'm I'm defending my boy. Man. But anyway, let's let let's cool off by going to the ice because we don't talk about the Stanley Cup very often. We don't talk about hockey very often. But these conference finals were the exact opposite of the NBA's conference finals. You had two, not one, but two game sevens, and there are no two words better in sports than game seven in any sport. I know hockey fans kind of try to tell you that hockey game sevens are better. I assure you that is not true. They are just as intense in other sports as they are in hockey. But Tampa Bay and Chicago, just like I predicted a couple weeks back. Bob, who do you think is going to win this one? It's hard to argue against the Blackhawks. They This will be their third Stanley Cup appearance in six years. They won in 2010. They won in 2013. They they just know what they're doing and, and they seem to just know how to win. Admittedly, I am not that knowledgeable about hockey, but I do know that the Blackhawks are really good and I do know that they have an advantage uh, on the back line and they probably have a more talented goalie and I think that goes a long way in the Stanley Cup. So uh, without embarrassing myself further, I, I'm picking the Blackhawks. I think that they can do it. The Lightning seem more of like a, a feel-good story to me than a legitimate Stanley Cup contender. Certainly that's the safe pick. I mean, Chicago's the dynasty in the NHL right now, and certainly if they win this game, or this series, not this game, they would cement themselves as a modern-day hockey dynasty, even though they never won back-to-back. Three out of six is still very impressive. But... I think Tampa Bay is probably better than a lot of people give them credit for. Admittedly, like you, I'm not a huge hockey guy. Ten years ago, I could have broken this thing down, but oddly enough, the last time Tampa Bay won the Stanley Cup, I was a lot more knowledgeable about the sport. I used to follow it a lot closer, but then the lockout happened and my interest waned a little bit. But the Lightning have beaten a lot of really good teams to get there. They've beaten, if they beat Chicago, they will have beaten four original six teams to win the title, which is pretty impressive. They've beaten Detroit, Montreal, and New York. And those are three really good teams, not only this year, but historically too. I mean, the Red Wings are always tough. Though to be fair to Chicago or anyone in the Western Conference, they're the Chicago is the only original six team in the Western Conference, so none of the teams in the West can accomplish that. So, I think both these teams are pretty high scoring from what I've read. Both these teams are pretty exciting from what I've read. So it should be a fun Stanley Cup. And the New York Rangers had one of the best goalies in the NHL, arguably the best goalie in the NHL in Lundqvist, the king in the hockey on the hockey ring. 
So they, they just got past him. I think they can beat Chicago. And on a whim, I'm going to ride the lightning. I'm going to pick Tampa Bay to win. They do have home ice advantage. I think they'll break. Uh, I think they'll beat Chicago. I think they're going to do it. All right. That's as good a pick as my pick. But so. honestly, Chicago's a safe pick. Chicago's a safe pick. I can't make fun of you for picking Chicago. No, well, I mean, come on. It's the Stanley Cup finals. You can't pick wrong. <laughs> I can't make fun of you for anything. Hey, but seriously, though, how shocking is this, though? A, can- a team from Canada has not won the Stanley Cup in 22 years, and that drought's going to continue. That That's really surprising to me, honestly. But uh, talk about dynasties. It's been Chicago and L.A., uh, five of the last six. So That's true. Um, LA has won the two out of the last three, I believe. Well, before yeah, this 2012 year. 2012 and 2014, they won. So, yeah, it's not surprising. I mean, do we can we count Detroit as Canada? No. <laughs> our, our cousins are not going to be. Able to <laughs> it's really close. You can just like go under the, the tunnel and you're in Canada. No, but it, it, maybe the NHL is starting to go like baseball with the Cardinals and Giants alternating each year. Now you got the Blackhawks and the um, Kings alternating each year. So we'll see. Well, the Chicago's going to have to do their part this year. If Chicago wins, I'll pick the Kings blind next yeah, year. No, that would be a safe, probably the safest bet you can make. Have you been able to watch much of the French Open? Uh, Not not a whole lot. Uh, I've, I've seen highlights. I've seen a lot of highlights. Uh, I know Roger Federer lost today. That was kind of shocking to me. It's not shocking, but it was shocking the way he lost. I mean, Stanwell Rinka just outplayed him big time. I've been able to watch a little bit. That problem is the good stuff's on while I'm in the normal 9 to 5 work days, so I can really only watch over the weekend. So I got to see a couple matches. I actually got to see Federer's last match against Monfi. I got to see um, Serena Williams' third round match, which is a good one, and, and I'm really blanking on this lady's name. I think it's Azarenka. Yeah, Victoria Azarenka who should not be rated 27th in the world, much better than that. She, you know, fell off a little bit, I guess. But that was a great third-round match. But the big big news on the women's side is Maria Sharapova also lost. She is the defending champ. And this tournament is Serena Williams' is to lose. She's easily the most dominant player in the field right now. But keep an eye on Anna Ivanovic, her likely opponent in the final. She only has one grand slam, but that came in 2008. At Roland Garros, so she's won the French Open. She's also a runner-up there in 2007. But she hasn't been to a Grand Slam final since, though. She's in the semifinals right now. I think she'll get to the final and face Serena Williams. Should be a solid matchup because Serena has struggled a little bit. She's lost the first set, set, I think, in her last three matches. So she has struggled a little bit, but she's bounced back to be dominant. And on the men's side, the top half of that bracket is where it's at. You've got... Novak Djokovic versus Rafael Nadal in a quarterfinal. Yeah. That's not fair. Andy Murphy versus David Ferrer in another quarterfinal, who David Ferrer probably would have a French Open title if it weren't for Nadal. Same with Djokovic, and same with Federer, actually. He'd have probably five if it weren't for Nadal. So the top half of that bracket, I think, is where it's at. I think whoever comes out of that finals draw will be favored against who I think it'll be Walrenko, though Songa could certainly win that semifinal. Don't underestimate Stan, but I, I certainly think he wouldn't be favored against whoever comes out of that, those four guys. Up no, there. Certainly not. Especially, I mean, how could you not favor Nadal? This would be his sixth uh, championship in a row. That, I mean, that's ridiculous. And he, he's only lost one French open since 05. <laughs> that's, that's crazy. And, 
and it wasn't to Roger Federer. Yeah, very true. Though he did win that tournament. Federer won the tournament, but it was not to Federer. Yeah, but I mean, how, do you? I mean, do you think? Do you see any other outcome other than Nadal winning in 2015? Yeah, I think Djokovic is going to win in 2015 because I think Djokovic is playing better tennis right now. I don't think Nadal is 100%. Nadal has lost, I believe, five matches on the red clay this season. That's high for him. I don't believe Djokovic has won on the red clay. And his record on red clay, Djokovic's, is impeccable except when he faces Nadal. Kind of like Federer was last decade, Djokovic could have easily won this tournament two or three times by now if it weren't for Nadal. I think this is the year he gets him, and this is the year he wins it. All right. You're a big tennis guy, so I, I actually I would listen to what what my brother has to say on this on this matter. <laughs> Certainly, though, that quarterfinal is going to be fun, and it's kind of surprising to see Andy Murray there. Andy Murray's not a true kind of power guy; he has more ground strokes. But Murray versus Ferrer will be an interesting one because Ferrer is a guy that gets overlooked. He's a great clay player. Clay Clay is certainly his best surface and like i said before i think ferrer would have won a french open if it weren't for nadal he got to the finals once and lost to him he's been a tremendous clay court player if he wins and nadal wins you can have an all spain semifinal. but i think it'll be Djokovic. i think Djokovic is motivated he has been beaten by nadal a lot in the last three or four years on this surface this is the only slam he needs to complete the career grand slam i think he's going to get him and i think he's going to win the championship That'd be cool to see. I, I do want to check out that matchup. I do too, but I doubt my boss will let me out to, to watch it. It'll, it's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah, it's kind of the downfall of international tennis. But Yeah, six-hour, what, six-hour time difference? Five five or six for France. I, I lose track. I, know Engl- I think England's five. I think France is six. So yeah. It's unfortunate, but what are you going to do? One other thing, though, the Belmont finally this weekend. Talk about another long wait, but it's always a long wait because it never changes with those three races. American Pharaoh, you think he's going to win the Triple Crown? Yep. Uh, Nothing's changed since my last podcast where I said, yeah, so, yeah, definitely. He's going to do it. I think uh, this is is the year that we see a Triple Crown. I hope you're right, and I think I'm going to agree with you just because I hope we see a Triple Crown winner. I think that would be really cool to see that drought end as well. Yeah, it would it would be really cool, and I'm kind of. It's there have been a lot of contenders the last few years, and it's it's time to for one of these courses to step up and and win the triple crown. And some of these contenders have been cursed. It's like they win the Preakness and then they get like a hoof injury or something, and they either can't race or they don't do well at all. I think one of them raced, but he couldn't even like get out the gates or something like that. I mean, the last two or three have been pretty cursed with yeah, injuries that one that you're talking about he had to they had to put the horse down like by the end of the year i think right i, I can't remember that i, I honestly horse racing's not that my was a really either. bad ending to that story but yeah right you're right the, a lot a lot of them just come up real short in the belmont and really disappoint so i'm hoping that at least this is a an exciting race where he at least tempts us with a triple crown my problem is I know nothing about any of the horses in the field to even pick someone who could knock off American Pharaoh. There's no doubt that there will be legit contenders. And since the Belmont is longer, you know, there's sort of that, you know, a different style for different horses and stuff yeah. like that. And a but, lot of the a lot of horses, uh, like it or not, sit out the Preakness in hopes of winning the Belmont against tired horses that race the Triple Crown. So there's also that working against American Pharaoh, but 
I'm still hoping it it happens. So, and I think that's lame. By the way, I think that I don't know. I think they should try to do something about that. I don't know what because I don't know the nuances of each tournament and whatnot. But I certainly think that it's kind of lame that that they that certain horses. Do yeah, that. it is lame, and I, they might take a look at it. But it also does help lead to the mystique of the triple crown and that it's harder to get and more impressive when you do win it. So I don't, I, I don't like it that people do it, but I don't know if you should stop it. Certainly. Again, I don't know the nuances of each tournament and the qualification processes and whatnot. So I'm sure that there's, there's more to it than just that. Yeah, certainly. But, and we covered a ton of ground here, man. We went through four sports in this little podcast, but focused heavily on the NBA with the finals right around the corner. Hopefully Cleveland will end that futility streak as you guys probably picked up. Bob and I will be at that game six if there is a game six. So we're certainly both looking forward to that and hopefully seeing the end of the Cleveland championship drought. But thank you once again for listening to What Are You Talking About? presented by Fenley Road Sports. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at FenleyRDSports or Instagram at FenleyRoadSports. Please continue to come back to FenleyRoadSports.com for new content weekly podcasts. We'll get some blogs up as usual, all sorts of fun stuff on familyroadsports.com. So thank you for your continued support. Please subscribe to our podcast via iTunes. Continue to listen, continue to support us. We greatly appreciate it. Give us some feedback and of course, rate us highly if you enjoy us. We certainly appreciate your support and we'll be back next week with some more sports talk. And uh, yeah, talk to you later, Bob. All right. See you, Chris.